The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi, looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Think about the looming electrification of our economy, our society, a move towards 100% renewable energy, not just for our electricity, but of course for everything, transport. We often think it's going to require some massive technology change and some huge investment and all sorts of gadgets and technology and it's going to be hard and it's going to be expensive. But maybe the solution is right in front of us in two really simple devices that we've had for decades. Firstly, there's what I call the oldest Tesla Powerwall in our homes. It is the hot water heater. You know, it's the most boring device that we've got in our homes. Often it's in the ceiling cavity and we never see it, or if we're really lucky, we've got a hot water cupboard and it's great for keeping our towels nice and toasty warm, but we hardly ever think about it. An electric water heater is, in effect, a battery. And it's a really interesting way in which we suck down electricity and that we could use to be a type of battery. And then secondly, there's our mobile phones. The things that really have been around receiving and sending text messages since the 1990s. It's decades old. What if we could use our hot water heaters and our text messages, ye olde text messages, on our mobile phones to solve our electricity problems? This week on When the Facts Change, we speak to Marsha Paletti, who is the head of systems change at Octopus Energy in the UK. But she's a New Zealander, and Octopus have some operations here in New Zealand. And she talks about, in this week's episode, how we could use demand-side control of our electricity to solve some of our problems, in particular, those electric water heaters. Since the 1950s, our electricity system had the ability and has occasionally used it to turn off all of the electric water heaters in certain parts of the country. Why? Well, when you've got a spike in energy demand and not enough supply because, I don't know, Huntley has just shut down or one of the gas plants is offline, then the electricity system could flick on ripple control. This is where all of the electric water heaters in a certain town are turned off all at once, And nothing really much happens. Maybe your shower is just a tiny bit colder than than what you normally have. 
but the world doesn't end. But it's a very effective way of stopping demand for electricity at a certain time of the day just when you need it. And this is what we'll need in future, the ability to shift power around in time and space using batteries, using the ability to control demand to avoid having to build enormous amounts of power generation and power transmission to deal with the spikes that you get when everyone decides during the halftime of the rugby to flick on their electric toasters and pizza ovens and make their cups of tea. Because it's those demand spikes and also the supply dumps that we're going to have in a period of solar and wind generation that will require all sorts of demand and supply management tools. And the simplest are right in front of us. The good old electric water heater and the not so good and not so old but definitely there text messages in mobile phones. That's this week on When the Facts Change. We'll find out how demand-side control of electricity could help solve our problems. Kia ora, and welcome to Marsha Poletti, who is the head of European System Change for Octopus, um, based in uh, London and working across 18 countries in Europe for Octopus. Marsha, it's fantastic to have you on When the Facts Change. Welcome in. Kia ora, and thank you very much for inviting me in. Now, we're really pleased to um, have you on because you're in an unusual position, someone who uh, is originally from New Zealand and understands the energy system, the electricity markets here. And Octopus obviously uh, has an operation in New Zealand too. But uh, you've seen how it can be done elsewhere, and in particular in the UK. And I'm curious, and many are in our, in our audience are curious, about how Aotearoa could solve some of our problems with the need to electrify the economy, but not necessarily simply by, you know, doubling the size of everything, all of our generation, all of our distribution, um, because there is two sides to any electricity, in fact, any market, but in electricity as much as anything else, there's the supply side, which we think about and talk about a lot, and then there's the demand side. Could you talk about how, you know, the industry in the UK in particular thinks about the demand side uh, and and what they're doing to try to um, match supply and demand, but also smooth some of the peaks and troughs? Brilliant. So it's a, it's a great question. As we increase renewable penetration in the electricity system, we get lots more volatility. We get lots of electricity when there's lots of water, when there's lots of wind, when there's lots of sun. Um, and then we go through really dry periods. And what we need to be able to do is use that energy when it's being produced. Uh, and that's really simple. Historically, of course, we used to get generation to turn up when we needed more demand and turn down when there was no demand. But in this energy transition, what we need to do is turn the electricity system upside down. We need to get demand to now respond to generation. And that doesn't mean you can only have a kettle when it's windy. What that does mean is as we electrify heat and as we electrify transport and as we install solar batteries in 
uh, solar PV in people's houses and install domestic batteries, all of these devices have significant flexibility. And we can use that flexibility to give consumers what they want. You know, they want transport, they want heat, they want electricity, but do it in such a way that we use the um, inherent flexibility of those devices to mop up excess renewable generation. And it's quite a challenge though, isn't it? Because uh, let's say, for example, you know, the wind stops and you want to match your generation with your demand. In the past, there was no real way for someone at home who's just about to get up during the ad break in Coronation Street and put on the um, the kettle to know that the wind just stopped blowing in the North Sea and to like, oh, okay, I better not have that kettle now. <laughs> you, the, the thought of, you know, who's going to, Who's going to communicate? What is there going to be someone knocking on the door saying, no, don't put on the kettle? <laughs> so how, how does that work? So the thing about markets is they're really good about using information. And electricity markets, they buy and sell products years in advance, but they continue having these markets and there are very good markets day ahead. And those day ahead markets look at how much wind and how much solar is going to be available, how much hydro, They also look at expected demand because, you know, when you're beginning to forecast demand at the level of Aotearoa, uh, you're you're able to do a pretty good job. And knowing all that information then allows you to create a price for the electricity and that price indicates how scarce it is. So actually, if your car was smart and could understand what the day ahead price was, it would know when it needs to charge. Now, In reality, it's not the car that we think about doing this. In the UK, we have an optimization uh, which is built into the cloud. We take the wholesale electricity price, we look at expected demand, and we send a message from our cloud to um, to the Tesla cloud, if it's a Tesla car, and we say, please charge this Tesla because the customer who owns that Tesla has given us permission, please charge it from 2.30 in the morning to 4.30 in the morning, and then from 5 till 5.30, and then make sure it's ready by 6, because the person who owns that car wants, to, wants it to be ready by 6 o'clock. And the, the owner of the car, they don't need to think about, is it a good time to do it? They don't need to faff around with, apps or, uh, you know, sitting there controlling the, the device themselves, so long as they tell us what their constraints are, tell us what they want, tell us how full they want their battery, so what state of charge they want, tell us when they want it to be ready by, we can do that stuff in the background. And that's, that's more and more what has to happen if we are going to successfully turn the electricity system upside down. Yeah, because I'm I'm curious about sort of how the incentives work. Um, we like to think about uh, in when the facts change, the economy parts of the political economy. You know, who's who's trying to make money? How are they making money? And on the face of it, if my retailer who's selling me electricity uh, was thinking about their shareholders first, they'd be going, "Hmm, 
if I organise things so that um, our customer charges their Tesla in the middle of the night when my price is low, I'm not going to make much money. So why should I make it easy for the um, consumer to get a cheap deal? Surely uh, I want to, you know, uh, make sure that they always pay the top dollar for the electricity that I'm selling. Okay, so you've got two questions here and we'll we'll start, we'll discuss the competition question second. So the, the first thing is, if I move my electricity buying as a retailer, so as a retailer, I need to buy the electricity that my consumers will use. And I can either buy it a long time in advance or I can buy it on a spot market or a day ahead market. And so these are markets which are much closer to when the electricity is being delivered. If I am buying on this day ahead market, I can buy electricity cheaper. And indeed, sometimes the electricity even go, the price even goes negative. So in, in Europe over this summer, we've seen lots and lots of negative prices because there is too much solar on the system, uh, not enough demand, and the people who run the electricity systems, the electricity system operators, are paying generation to turn off. <laughs> and that's what drives these negative prices. So actually, there's a huge amount of value there. And if retailers are moving consumers' demand to these really cheap prices and not passing on those cheap prices to customers, that's a bad thing. Customers are getting ripped off. And the reason that might happen in New Zealand in particular is because the New Zealand market is not competitive. You have four large uh, gen tailors, so that means they own the generation and they own the retail business, uh, and they essentially set the wholesale price and the generation part of their business makes a lot of money and the retail business loses money. So you don't, you have a situation where you don't have effective competition and that, I mean, I, you know, that's one of the reasons why you're not seeing the innovation that you need for the energy transition. Um, and that's, you know, that's probably why despite retailers being able to purchase electricity in this way, why they might not pass on the benefit to consumers. So in other countries, they do have more competitive markets and it's quite difficult to make super profits because that's an opportunity for a competitor to come, in, come away and compete away those profits, if you like. Can you give us an example of how that works in, let's say, the UK, where the market has been um, regulated in a way that means that there is proper competition. And how does that um, work from the point of view of, you know, independent competitors coming in, being innovative with the sorts of things they can offer their customers, being able to buy electricity on this wholesale market and then sell it on. And if someone else is trying to charge too much of a margin, they can go in there and compete against them and compete down that margin. How does that work in the UK? So there are rules and regulations which mean that the retail business and the generation business have to be much more separate um, and they have to operate as independent businesses and that uh, is a way of trying to ensure that there isn't what's called this cross-subsidisation where one part of the business makes a lot of money allowing another part of the business to lose money or to be um, much less profitable. Uh, and a couple of the 
um, annual reports from companies in New Zealand have indicated that their retail businesses are running these sort of negative margins. So it's sort of antitrust 101, isn't it? Yeah. Avoid the bundling. Yes. Um, however, having said that, electricity markets are quite difficult, and that's because actually we as consumers, we're not really interested in electricity. We're interested in what electricity does, which is enabling us to cook dinner, to get friends round, to heat the house, whatever. Um, so often we don't engage with the electricity market. It's really boring. It's slightly technical. It costs me a lot of money. It's risky. I'm worried about if I swap suppliers, I might, you know, I might not have electricity. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why we as consumers don't what's called engage with the market. Don't look at who else is offering better deals or better service or more innovation and change. And why, so the market is sort of divided into two parts. Those consumers who have always bought from what used to be the, the government and they belong to very safe electricity, safe and in inverted commas, electricity companies, and they don't move. And then a group of people who realise that they're getting ripped off realise that they can get better service or better products or more innovation and engage with the market. And that's true in New Zealand and it's true in the UK. In the UK, what happened was those consumers who didn't engage with the market, who didn't look around, ended up paying lots more than they would otherwise. And again, what you, ha what you had is this cross-subsidisation where those consumers who didn't move uh, were essentially cross-subsidising cross those consumers who did. And so energy companies had these sort of tease and squeeze prices. They would have these great deals for consumers who shopped around and came onto them. And then a year later, if the customer didn't move, they'd just jack up the prices again. Uh, and so you saw, you saw this behaviour in uh, the UK. You see it in many electricity markets worldwide. In the UK, what they did was put a price cap on, and that meant that for this default tariff, where you don't choose, where you just fall onto it, the price couldn't go beyond a certain point. And that then meant these large incumbent suppliers couldn't offer their competitive, the competitive part of the market, there's really cheap tariffs. So... Bernard, it's a, electricity markets are really tricky, uh, but it is, there are a number of things that can be done to make them more effective. And there are a number of ways you can encourage people to look at businesses. There are also things like a, yeah, there, there are mechanisms we can, we can deal with. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist, Jared Kerr, on what's happening with inflation in 2024. Globally, inflation rose to really high levels. We saw inflation averaging over 10%. Uh, last year. Now central banks have reacted, they, they've tightened monetary policy, they've lifted interest rates to levels where it hurts. We've seen growth slow down and we're seeing inflation coming off, which is great news because we import a lot of inflation from 
the rest of the world and that imported inflation is easing. So half the job that we're trying to do locally is is being done for us offshore. The other half, the domestic bit, well, that's the tough bit. That's the sticky inflation that's coming out of a housing market, it's coming out of construction, it's coming out of service industries, and it's going to be hard to contain. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So just thinking about this, you know, this picture of what uh, an electricity system or market looks like when it's really doing well to match demand and supply. And I'm thinking here in particular of this example in the UK last winter, where there was this potential for blackouts because um, there was gas shortages and obviously the war in Ukraine made it difficult to get hold of electricity at short notice or gas or whatever. And so the, the government and, you know, the industry thought, right, how do we get people to, at short notice, uh, you know, turn things off, not not put on the jug or, or maybe decide not to turn on their water heater? Yeah, that's it's really interesting because so we had that high-tech approach that I talked about where we do this cloud-to-cloud communication and we control devices. But actually, you don't need that. What we did last year was we worked with the electricity system operator in the UK and we said, look, you know, let's find out what happens if we if we send a text to people and ask them to turn down demand when there's not enough electricity on the system. Wow, old school, a text. A text. And we said, right, and we'll pay them to do this because obviously, you know, they want to use electricity at that point. We're asking them not to. We need to pay them for it. So how did that work? Did they get paid through their mobile phone bill or how, what? So we can pay them through their electricity bill. So we ran that trial. It was really successful. Uh, and then Russia invaded the Ukraine and the electricity prices went through the roof. Gas was in short supply. Uh, so we said to the ESO, look, you know, we've run this trial, we've demonstrated that you can actually just ask consumers to turn down and they do it. Why don't you create a commercial product and not just get Octopus to talk to their customers, but get anyone to talk to their customers? And so that's what they did. The electricity system operator said, right, we'll create a product, we'll call it Demand Flexibility Service. The DFS. The DFS. Anyone can join. They have to have a smart meter because that allows you to measure what happens in each half hour. And the electricity system operator predicts what the customer would have normally done. And then we send out a text over that sort of one hour peak or two hour peak between, say, five and seven or six and seven. The customer turns down. 
they turn off their heat pump or they decide not to cook or they don't charge their car or whatever. And they love the consumers loved it. Like it, it was we got such positive messages on social media about what families were doing. We got a headline about octopus uh, incentivizing the creation of more babies because one of the things <laughs> people were doing was going to bed. I don't know how true that was. Um, we had we had pictures of families who had decided to turn everything off and were playing Monopoly by candlelight. Um, and, you know, the payments weren't huge, um, but over the course of winter they, you know, gave a nice little bundle of 10 quid or 100 quid to customers. But what it demonstrates is actually consumers are really prepared to be part of this energy transition. They're really prepared to use and offer their flexibility and be much more active. And on the time, so in order to keep the system safe and secure, the electricity system operator got two coal-fired plants, highly polluting, highly expensive. They brought them out of mothball and had them sitting on standby. And so when the the electricity system operator was thinking about using those coal-fired plants, they would first of all try this demand flexibility service. And so we were able to tell our customers, look, if you join and if you participate in this session, we can stop the use of these heavily polluting plants. And people's response was amazing. I can imagine in New Zealand, uh, perhaps during a dry winter, where many of us know now that uh, when there's a dry winter and there's not enough uh, water in in the lakes, we have to turn on Huntley. And a couple of years ago, we bought a million tons of coal from Indonesia to burn through Huntley. And, you know, a lot of people knew this was happening. They're driving past the Huntley stacks going, gee, that's what happens when you have a cold day in July after a drought. And I wish we could do something about that. And you could imagine uh, whoever, a system operator, a retailer, um, uh, or maybe just the government, I don't know, sending a text to everyone uh, saying, hey, um, give you 10 bucks if you turn off your water heater right now so we don't have to turn on Huntley. And so, and you could definitely do that. The other thing, though, is New Zealand has this wonderful thing, the ripple, ripple control for hot water. Um, and while some customers are engaged in that, actually a lot more could be, and it could be a lot better. So at the minute, that's managed by the local lines company. So the people who bring the electricity wires to your door, uh, and they they are worried about how much electricity is flowing through their lines, and they use ripple control to ensure those lines don't get overloaded. But actually, you could use this on a day-to-day basis, and you could do with hot water what we do with cars. You just shift the heating to those periods of time when there's too much electricity. Because in New Zealand, you have run-of-the-river hydro, so hydro that isn't relying on dams, it's just happening, and you've got wind and you've got a whole range of things, there will be times, even in winter, when there's more electricity than is particularly useful. And being able to shift demand, including people's hot water, heating to those periods, would be magic. But again, for that innovation, you need... You know, you need a different retail setup. Because at the moment, that that ripple control, as it's called, is effectively sort of an accident of history that the lines companies uh, 
control. And it was there as, you know, part of the the old polar ship, shipyard way of running New Zealand where, you know, when something happened, um, you know, things were done to make sure it, it worked okay, whether you liked it or not. And it, it turns out it's a very useful way to deal with a particular, um, uh, you know, problem with, and we've had this uh, a couple of years ago, an outage with uh, a plant and a bunch of people had their power turned off in the Waikato without um, uh, much warning. And uh, one of the things that can be used is ripple control. And as you say, uh, to actually make that into something meaningful in this context, you'd have to change the system because at the moment the controllers of that are at the network side, the um, transpower side, and also at the lines company side, not necessarily the retailers, um, be it um, the gen tailors or the independent ones. And that's and that's a really important thing because what we're seeing across Europe, across the States, um, and hopefully across Australia and New Zealand is a move away from the lines companies controlling consumers' devices to the retailers who have that relationship with the customer and who can offer a range of products and a range of services to a whole group of different people. Because the problem with turning everyone's hot water off is actually there are some people for whom that's a real problem. There are some people, and and the same thing for an EV, you know, there may well be someone who is taking their partner to hospital the next day for a caesarean. You know, they want their car charged. You don't want the DSO or the, the lines company controlling that device. If we are managing devices as a retailer on behalf of many consumers, individual consumers can take different choices but overall, there will be enough consumers who are willing to offer that flexibility for it to make sense. And the beauty of um, using demand management to solve your problem is that you're not having to build yet more generation, yet more lines. Uh, and every time you do that, there's a bunch of embedded carbon apart from anything else and an awful lot of cost. The forecast for New Zealand is, in theory, we're going to have to double the amount of generation if we're going to electrify particularly our transport system, which uh, has been valued at seventy, eighty billion dollars. <laughs> and uh, ha- using some innovative uh, market techniques, like you know, hey, giving people, particularly retailers or consumers with their retailers, the opportunity to um, do a deal to turn off their water heater if they feel like it. Um, to save having to build, um, you know, a $3 billion um, generation facility seems like a, a great way to, to, to do it. A, it's, it can be much faster. Uh, the consenting process for one of those <laughs> our generation facilities can be quite uh, onerous. And also, you, you don't have to ask a bunch of shareholders for a whole bunch of, a bunch of money. Um, and if you, you do it right, you, someone might be able to make a profit and also some consumers might have a lower bill, uh, which is apart from anything else. So tell us how they're thinking about this overseas, you know, solving the problem with demand management rather than just adding supply, which is what how we in New Zealand have often thought about it. So a system which has flexibility by 2050 will be 10% cheaper than a system without flexibility. And that's been repeated in a, in a number of studies over time 
and in general, the amount of value that flexibility brings increases each time as the people who model the system realize how much flexibility is actually possible. Um, and there's been work done both in Europe, uh, looking at the impact of flexibility, and also in the UK. So it's this is a sort of a relatively well-known and understood problem. Flexibility means both large grid-scale batteries, your pumped hydro, but it also means this consumer flexibility. Even if you have lots of pumped hydro and lots of grid-scale batteries, you still end up with a more expensive system unless you can mobilize consumer flexibility. And that's because as you electrify heat and transport, if you don't ask consumers to be part of the solution, they'll come home from work and plug in their car, their heat pump will turn on, and you get this massive evening peak, which you don't need. Um, So with a heat pump, to avoid that big evening peak, you actually just preheat the house. Um, and then you can manage the other the heat pumps, turning them on and turning them off, keeping an eye on the temperature of the house, you know, so getting it to operate within the consumer's constraints. And that flexibility avoids you building out lots and lots of generation and lots and lots of wires. And I think the other part of this is the cost of solar panels and the cost of domestic batteries is decreasing, and they are still decreasing at roughly 8% per annum. They are becoming incredibly cheap. And the economics mean that you can put these things on sunny New Zealand houses and we can manage the battery so that we know what the forecast for power production is day ahead and we'll get the battery to discharge at that evening peak as well. So not only are you not charging your car and you've managed your heat pump, we'll be injecting power into the system at that evening peak to try and smooth everything off. And that way you avoid having to build lots of wires and lots of grid scale generation. And of course, um, if you're clever with the the battery, you can get it to um, top itself up in the middle of the night when the um, wholesale price is, is very low. Um, And in New Zealand, we've got this huge opportunity because we've been very slow on solar panels, particularly for rooftops. We only now have um, two out of every 100 houses having solar, whereas in Australia, it's closer to 40 out of every 100 houses having solar. So there is is some low-hanging fruit here with the falling costs of panels and batteries to not only get some extra generation, but get some flexibility on the demand side. And uh, I, I, I do wonder if that's an opportunity. It's a huge opportunity because the, the amount of sun, solar radiation that you have in places like Auckland is roughly equivalent to, to Sydney. So the economics of having solar plus a battery are phenomenal. And we now know that you want to stick the batteries in at the same time you stick the solar system, this solar array in. Um, So New Zealand is brilliantly positioned for that. And what we should be doing is going gangbusters, putting in lots of solar, putting in lots of batteries, controlling those batteries in a smart way so that they provide benefits to the system alongside smart EV charging, smart hot water and smart heat pumps. And the the tech's there already. New New Zealanders are hugely innovative You sort of just need to release the power of competitive markets and open and transparency. 
you do still need to worry about consumer protection and you need we need to worry about consumers not being left behind because it's not it's not just the guys who have the EVs and the solar panels and stuff who should benefit it has to be everyone but that's one of the great things about hot water actually that's a hugely beneficial load and we're not talking about making your hot water cold we're just talking about moving when we heat it up and so maybe a ripple control and um, a rapid rollout of batteries and uh, solar panels could be one of our ways to um, solve our problems we don't have to you know wait 20 years for a a, a lake to fill up or anything. Um, Marsha, it's been uh, fantastic to talk to you. Uh, I'm one of those uh, um, market geeks and is enthusiasts who likes to think about how we can solve these problems without um, uh, bringing in the concrete trucks. And uh, I really appreciate your time. Marsha Poletti, who is the head of European System Change at Octopus from the UK. Thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. Thank you very much, Bernard. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.